Well, that made everybody anxious, didn't it? <laughs> Not just talking about the video, but pouring out the water, me getting through all the uh, VBS decorations up here. Ooh. If I told you I did that on purpose, you wouldn't believe me. But my name's Will. I'm the director of Journey Kids. So glad to be uh, preaching uh, today. Uh, thank you for joining us here in person and online. Not only uh, that little mishap, but also the video shows us that we can all feel anxious and stressed and worried pretty quickly. We all have things going on in life that bring us to this idea that we, man, it's so hard. God, what can I do? The CDC and John Hopkins, I did a little research and just see like on mental illness, mental disorders and anxiety. And one of the things, these are staggering uh, statistics that more than 50% of Americans will be diagnosed with a mental illness or disorder at some point in their lifetime, 50%. One in five Americans will experience a mental illness in the given year. And the same number of children, one in five children, either currently or at some point during their life, have had a serious debilitating mental illness. One in 25 Americans lives with the even more serious mental illness, such as schizophrenia, bipolar, or major depression. So what causes mental illness? What causes mental disorders? Well, there's not one single factor, and even many people disagree, but some things that we can attest to are this. Early adverse life experiences, such as trauma or history of abuse, Experiences related to other on, ongoing chronic or medical conditions, such as cancer or diabetes. Other biological factors as chemical imbalances in the brain, the use of alcohol and drugs, and having feelings of loneliness or isolation. You see, many things makes us anxious. Many things help make us worry and stress. But Worry, stress, and anxiety in and of themselves starting out is kind of a trigger in our lives to know that something's not right. Something, it's our fight or flight or freeze response that's been engineered in us in our DNA when things go wrong, our body steps up. So I've said those three different words, worry, stress, anxiety. Sometimes we interchange them, but they're a little bit different. And so I want to be a little nuanced in this. And so what's the difference in worry, stress, and anxiety? Well, worry is when your mind dwells on negative thoughts, uncertain outcomes, or things that could go wrong. Worry happens only in your mind, not in your body. Stress, it is a psychological response in the body that reacts to environmental changes or forces that exceed the individual's resources. And anxiety, it's a little longer definition, but it is an intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. Fast heart rate, rapid breathing, sweating, and feeling tired may occur. Anxiety is an indicator of underlying disease when feelings become excessive, all-consuming, and interfere with daily living. Anxiety is what happens when you're dealing with a lot of worry and a lot of stress. So if we could like sum that up, here it is. Worry is in the mind. Stress is in the body. And anxiety is a culmination of those. It's in the mind and the body. 
And as I said, some of these responses, when it begins, it's our body showing us something is wrong, something needs to change. But one way or the other, we all worry about things, we all face stress, and many of us in here deal with anxiety. Because Dr. James Merritt says this, he says three things, I'm gonna add one, but we all face these four things. We all face unbearable people. We see these four things in the scripture that was just read. We all face unavoidable pressures. And we all face unexplainable problems. And I would add, we all also face unwanted negative perceptions or unwanted negative mental thoughts. So he asked the question, when we stress out, what do we do to get the stress out? Well, as we've seen, mental illness, mental disorders are real. I don't want to sit here and say to you today, if you struggle with that, that you just need to have more faith. You just need to pray more. There, God has given us doctors and pharmacists who, who have helped come up with things, counselors who can help talk with you through them. These are real problems people face. And if you've never faced mental illness or mental disorder, it's hard for you to understand. But trust me out there, I know, I understand. We need to get the stigma off of going to counseling or therapy. And in some ways, we need to get the stigma off of taking medication that God has given smart people to help us. Because I would guarantee, maybe this is taboo, but I would guarantee somebody, maybe even sitting near you, has taken medicine to help with their anxiety before. And so with all these things, being a people of God, we still need a starting point to help us with worry, stress, and anxiety. And I really feel that's where this scripture leads us today. It has some great starting points for us. And this is one of my favorite passages. I love Philippians chapter four. Now it was introduced to me when I was in high school, I was going to counseling what I thought was depression and my counselor at the time, I remember um, him looking at me and saying, you're not depressed. And I like got angry at him like, what? I feel depressed, I'm down. I can't, it's hardly do anything. School stress is getting at me. What do you mean I'm not depressed? And he says, no, you're um, depression's ugly cousin, anxiety. Some of the symptoms may be the same, but the root cause and how we treat them are different. He said, first, uh, I want you to memorize this passage, Philippians 4, 4, one through, uh, 4 through 9. And in a way, I know it seems kind of cheesy, but this has kind of been my life passage, my life verses, as when anything gets overwhelming, it's great to memorize scripture. As scripture says, hide your word in your heart that I might not sin against God. Let your word be a lamp and a light into my feet. Our kids are gonna sing about that this week. That his word would shine on us. And I keep going back to this passage over and over and over again in my life. So when I say this, I don't want you to think that I'm some great Bible teacher, okay, but you might wanna take notes because these are the, the things we're about to go over are great for us, for us to begin. When worry, stress, and anxiety creep in, this is where we need to start. But before we dive in, let's go again to the Lord in prayer. And just close your eyes, bow your head. Again, we don't have to do this every time we pray, but just, you getting alone with God, even amidst this big room, just ask God, 
that he would speak to you today. Lord, it truly amazes me every time that you heard every cry here in this room, online. Father, we want you to move among us as we just sang, nothing else will do. Father, we just want you and we want you to meet us here in this moment. Father, pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do and that is bring revelation, open our eyes, open our minds and change us. May we leave here differently than when we came. And Father, as we dive in your word, I'm so thankful for your word that you gave us, that it's from you, that it's about you, and that it's true. Give us the power and the desire to do what pleases you, to live this out. Lord, give us that peace that surpasses all understanding. And Lord, ultimately, you are the God of peace. Give us yourself. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So in verse one, we see kind of our, our first little talking point. Now, each one of these, as you write them down, like we could do a whole sermon series on all of these, just on Philippians chapter four alone, not as well we've gone through the whole book as we continue on in Philippians, but maybe that's another sermon series for another day. So we're gonna run through these, be ready. Are you ready? Let's go. So the first thing, verse one, he says this, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Well, what is this way? We need to stand firm in his ways. Paul has just given them so many things of how to humble ourselves, to be unified, to follow and live as Jesus did. We need to stand firm in his ways. We need to stand firm in his word. We need a time every day where we're getting and diving into his word, spending time with him in prayer. Stand firm in his ways. Next, we see this as two women, I plead with Yodia, I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind. And, and if you get names wrong in the Bible, it's totally okay. We give grace, okay? We're all gonna say them differently. Um, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Comment and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. You see, we need to be in unity. Nathan has preached on this over and over again in this book. This book is about being in, unified in Christ, the gospel power that we have. But we also need to be in community to deal with stress and anxiety and worry we can't do it alone. We need each other. And these two women, their, their, their quarrel, their dispute, clearly can't be about something sinful because Paul is telling them, he doesn't call them out like he does in other book letters that he's written. So here their, their disagreement must be something that is trivial, that is secondary or tertiary to the gospel, but it's still causing division and Paul wants them to be of the same mind, to come back together. We need to be in unity and community. And then in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. We need to find our joy in the Lord. We need to find our joy in the Lord. Paul says it twice in the same verse. 
Just as you read scripture and you see where the angels and those in, in Revelation are crying out, holy, 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 when, we, when scripture repeats something, it's making a point. Paul is telling us we need to find our joy in the Lord. Now, joy is much more than just happiness. Happiness comes by circumstances or things that happen. Joy is much deeper. We can have joy even when we're anxious. We can have joy even when life is hard and not going the way we want it to. Joy is this deep overwhelming of God's presence that we can praise him no matter what. So we must rejoice. Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love, says this, when I am consumed by my problems, stressed out about my life, my family, and my job, I actually convey the belief that I think the circumstances are more important than God's command to always rejoice. Hmm. Next, verse five, he says this, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Now your different translations, now each translation kind of does this word in Greek, and I'm not even gonna try to pronounce this word in Greek. Um, I'm no scholar, but they translate it differently. Some of your translations will say graciousness. Let your graciousness be evident to all. As we've read, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Or maybe yours even says, let your reasonableness be evident to all. So with all these different meanings of what this word can mean, which one is it? The answer is, I think it's all of them. Again, we could break this down really more, but we need to keep moving on. But what is Paul basically saying? He's saying this, we need to treat others as we want to be treated. We need to be gentle. We need to be reasonable with people. Ultimately, we need our graciousness in the Lord. We need to be gracious to others as we've been shown grace by God. Really, what does it boil down to? We need to treat others as Christ would treat them. I don't have it on today, I couldn't find it, but you know those old bracelets that used to come out and some of you know what I'm talking about? WWJD, right? We have to ask that question, what would Jesus do? And here we get in the root, and really this is where we should begin when we're anxious and we're stressed, is this, we need to pray and give it to God, give it all to God. Verse six, he tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understandings will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We need to give it all to God. He says, don't be anxious. But if you remember just a few weeks ago, just in a couple chapters ago, Paul says that he was anxious for one of his brothers who, who was sick. Paul is moving into this area of kind of closing out the book, giving us all these commands, like wrapping everything up, all these quick commands. And Paul, we see, was just anxious a few words, a few paragraphs ago. Is Paul saying that he's perfect? No but that we need to give it all to the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7, which we saw in the video says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares 
for you. Psalm 55:22 is very similar, and I bet this is where Peter got it from. It says this, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. I love what the NIRV does there when it talks about he will sustain you. It says this, he will keep you going. Not yourself. He will keep you going if you cast your anxieties, cast your worries, cast all your burdens on him. Jesus said that his burden is light. Bring it all to him. It makes me think at spring break, we took our kids to uh, go bowling for kind of one of the first times. I think we went when they were littler, but they don't remember. But this is like the first time they remember bowling and my son loves it. Now, I'm going to be honest, because the kids were there, like we use the bumpers. It's okay to use the bumpers, people, okay? And, and sometimes, especially if you haven't played in a while, like it's hard. And, and my son was so determined to like bowl and like do it right. But as he kind of got tired and wore out, we got the cool little, you know what I'm talking about, the cool little ramp thing that you put the ball on and just like push it. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, I have no idea. Some of you need to go bowling. It's fun, okay? Maybe some of you are too competitive and you're like, that will make me anxious. I don't need to go bowling. My, my grandfather, speaking of bowling, uh, who, who has since passed away um, with my grandmother on my mom's side, uh, they went on a date bowling one time and my grandmother beat him and they never went bowling again. <laughs> but I'm not that competitive as, as my son and my wife in this, but... We were playing bowling and if you've ever bowled or, or watched bowling on TV, like people do crazy things even after the ball is released, right? Like they'll bowl and then they'll like lean in to try to get the ball, like that's gonna do something. I'm guilty of it, I do it all the time. Or like when my kids would push it and it's like barely going, I'm like, that's not doing anything. But we think it is, right? What a great picture that when we release it, there's nothing else we can do. We've gotta give it to the Lord. Next, Paul goes on to this list of things and someone told me they're gonna like mark down every time I say uh, whatever this week because Paul says whatever quite a bit here in this last little bit. Um, but Paul is gonna give us something deep to do. Now, yes, our first thought when we get anxious is we need to give it all to the Lord in prayer. But then deep down the root cause is we need to change the way we think. We need to think rightly. We need to think about all these things. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see, when we worry and stress, in our brain, I'm not really smart, I had to do research on this, okay? But in our brain, we have like things called nerves, right? And they're like electric impulses. And when we worry and when we stress and when we do negative habits, these pathways get burned into our brain, these neural networks. And each time something comes at us, our quick response is to go back to where that neural pathway is burned. But Paul is saying, and science has shown us that through repetition, through bringing in truth, not lies, we can rewire our brain and create new neural networks, new paths in our brain so that we don't stress out in the same way we did before. 
I mean, that is just teaching us what Scripture, that science is showing us what Scripture has taught us. Paul tells us in Romans to renew our minds, or elsewhere in Scripture, Paul tells us to take every thought captive. We can do all these things. Our brain is a powerful, cool thing, and God can help us rewire our brain so that when life hits us, we don't have to react the same way we did before. In the uh, commentary that Nathan and I have been reading for uh, Philippians, the Christ-centered exposition, uh, Christ-exalted series, uh, this particular one in Philippians by uh, Francis Chan, they say this, okay, it's a long quote, I don't have it up there, but I just love how they picture this. It says, the final issue that Paul addresses in the Christian thought life, for Christians to grow in likeness to Jesus, we have to have a renewed mind. God has blessed his church with his word as a primary means to purify our minds. Jesus even prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. David in the Old Testament prayed for God to examine his thoughts saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David knew that real change involves a change of one's thoughts. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets at the thoughts behind adultery and murder, calling attention to the sinfulness of lustful thoughts and malicious thoughts. What we think matters, and it matters more than we think. We need God's word to saturate our minds that we may be renewed and kept from offensive ways. In addition to this, Paul highlights the honorable, the way to think about admirable things. And here's what he does. We need to think about what's true, not false. Think about what's honorable, not dishonorable. When you think about what's just, not unjust. We need to think about what's pure, not impure. We need to think about what's lovely, not repulsive. We need to think about what's commendable, not shameful. Paul's verb that he uses there means this, to take into account carefully, to calculate. You see, we are to dwell and think and ponder and consider carefully and reflect on the virtuous things in life. And these virtues Paul lists here may have very well appeared in various places and cultures. See, Paul takes these virtues that would have been common in the Philippian culture and says, we need to think on these things, but in a new way. But he adds one thing, if it's praiseworthy. Because as followers of Christ, to think rightly, our ultimate aim is we wanna be praised to God. We need to think about what is praiseworthy. So, We not only need to think rightly, but then Paul tells us this, we need to live it out. He tells us this, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. We need to live all these things out. And we can't do it by our own power. We have to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as we saw in chapter two of Philippians to work out our salvation, we need to live this out. 
so that we can be different among the world. But not only live it, I challenge you, we need to see it. You need to find people who are, you look and they are walking with the Lord. They stand firm in his ways. They are a prayerful person. No one's perfect. But maybe we need to find someone that you need to find someone older or maybe just more spiritually mature and say, I want to walk with the Lord like they do so that I can live it out better. So let's recap all these things that Paul has told us just so we can see them all together. We need to stand firm in his ways. We need to be in unity and community. We need to find joy in the Lord. We need to treat others as you want to be treated. And I forgot to say, like, in that, that's the golden rule of what Jesus wants us to live. We need to pray and give it all to God. We need to think rightly and we need to live it out. As I said, this is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. But even in my anxious times where I fall into worry, when life gets stressful, I always come back to this. Why? Because we all need reminders. That's why I want, want you to take notes. That's why I wanted them all up there at the same time so that you can come back to this when life gets in the way. Life might be coming at you right now. Or maybe you're in the middle of a storm or maybe life's going good and you need this for when life come at you hard. We need this reminder. We're all tempted to fall into worry and stress. But Paul is echoing what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells us not to worry as well. Jesus even tells us that worry is a sin. Matthew 6, 24 through 34 says this, no one can serve two masters for you hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about your everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they are dressed as beautiful as they are. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers or some translations say pagans but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. 
Worry, stress, and anxiety don't add to our life. Rather, science has shown us this, and also we can see backed up by Scripture. Worry, stress, and anxiety actually take from our life. It takes years off of our life when we put our body in this constant fight, flight, or freeze. Which is why Jesus said, cast all our cares on him. He wants us to have life abundant. He wants us to have joy. So we have to ask the question then, why do we worry? Why do we worry? Francis Chan in Crazy Love also says this, both worry and stress reek of arrogance. As that is a hard quote to take in. Why is that so? Because we think we are in control. When we give in to the temptation to worry and stress, remember, worry and stress are natural. They come in our minds in this fallen world. But when we dwell on them more than we should, we act like we're in control when we're not. And it's when what we are dwelling on, when we dwell on those things, instead of dwelling on the things Paul lists out, that's what matters. We heard it in the passage, but God knows all your needs. He knows them before you even ask him. So tell him. But what about mental illness? Big question, right? Is mental illness, mental disorder, is it sin? As I said earlier, I don't want to tell you today just to have more faith. God's given us doctors and counselors and uh, pharmacies that, that make so much to, to help us. But maybe we have to change the way what we think about sin. The number one thing we think about sin is in the Old Testament, they had three things that described sin. Two are going to sound very familiar. The first thing when sin was described in the Old Testament, it was as in rebellion against God, that we wanted to usurp and take God's throne. We see that in Genesis chapter three, where Adam and Eve disobeyed his one command because they wanted to be like God, even though they were already made in the image of God as we all are. The first thing we see of sin is this open rebellion against God. You might have heard this too. The second thing about sin is that they believed is it was to miss the mark. Like taking an arrow and shooting it at a target and missing. Even if you make it the next time, you still miss the first try. The Bible says for all of sin, for all have fallen short, we've all missed the mark. But there's a last thing about sin that really gets into what happens in a sinful world because Adam and Eve disobeyed God and let sin and darkness in this world, this world is broken. It's incomplete. So we see sin in the Old Testament as rebellion, to miss the mark. But the last thing I want you to see is, is this. This is a problem. This is a, what we are seeing because we live in a sinful world is this, that we are broken and something inside of us is not complete. An idea of being defective. When you buy a product and don't know that it's been on recall, something in that product is defective, but it's not going to work properly. That's the idea here that because sin has entered the world, we are broken, we are defective, 
and we need something to fix us and make us whole. Because really and truly in this fallen world with fallen problems, we struggle. We're longing for something more that all those things we listed from this passage in chapter four, those are great starting points. Those are great things to remember in hard times, but deep down, They'll help us here, but how quickly are we to forget those things? We have to go back again and again and again. So I want to tell you this, to truly combat anxiety, we have to trust and rest in God's promises. We have to trust and rest in God's promises. And what has he promised? That one day he will come back and make all things new. One day, we will get to be with him forever and he will wipe every tear away from our eye. Because he's gonna lead us into something, something that deep down I really think we want. When we deal with anxiety, stress, and worry, there's something more we're longing for. We want peace. We want peace. When life gets hard, from little things as children disobeying to your pet won't listen and come in from outside, to struggles at work, all the things we just read, the unbearable people, the unavoidable pressures, the unexplainable problems and the unwanted negative thoughts. We want peace. We even see that in this passage of Philippians chapter four, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace will guard us. And Paul knew what it was all about to be guarded. As he's writing this letter, he is in house arrest, being guarded by Roman guards. They are watching him. And guarded can sometimes have a negative connotation, but guards were, guarding was twofold. They were guarding to make sure Paul didn't leave or run away from his punishment. But they also guarded Paul so those unwanted couldn't get in and get to him. We want peace and this peace guards us, but it transcends all understanding. We can't explain it apart from the Lord. But then in verse nine, it also says this, and the God of peace will be with you. Just as we sang, we get God himself. And he is a God of peace. Just last week in our kids' worship, we looked at this idea of peace as all summer long, we're, we're making waves and we are trying to change the world around us by making those waves, long-lasting impacts in kids' life that the decisions they make today can make waves and change the future and change their friends' and family's lives around them. And the best way to do that, we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And last week, we just looked at this idea of peace, that this, in the Old Testament, this woman named Abigail made peace between her husband Nabal and the future King David. You see, David was on the run from King Saul. His life was threatened. He wasn't yet king, but he knew he was going to be king. And they came to this area where Nabal lived and they protected his shepherds and his sheep. 
and their supplies ran out and they asked Nabal for some food and supplies. And Nabal, being an evil person, a wicked person, said, who are you? I don't know you. No, you're not getting anything that is mine. And so David then gets into sin and gets really angry and is like, all right, I got more men than this guy does. We're going to attack him and just take it from him. But Nabal's wife, Abigail, steps in and makes peace and asks for forgiveness for David for the actions of her husband, but also brings the food and supplies more in abundance than they needed to them. So what is peace then? Peace is the absence of war. It is the absence of conflict. But it's also so much more. Jesus even tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, we need to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. But a lot of us are peacekeepers rather than peacemakers. Peacekeepers keep peace by avoiding conflict. Peacekeepers keep peace by avoiding conflict. This means they might keep the status quo and they're not really bringing peace, they're just appeasing. Peacemakers bring peace even amidst the conflict. And that is who we are called to be as followers of Jesus. We need to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. I want you to get this, true biblical peace means so much more than just the absence of conflict. We want peace in this world. You can even hear it in an old rock song, right, by Boston. All we want is to what? Have a peace of mind. True biblical peace, yes, does mean there is an armistice, there is no conflict. But the Hebrew word shalom and the Greek word arene, which we see in peace in scriptures, is this idea of a stone being complete and perfect in nature. It is whole. But it's also this idea of peace is so much more complex that it's taking these perfect stones and putting them all together to make a wall. A lot of our groups have just finished through the book of Nehemiah as they built the wall, this idea of putting all the pieces together that this wall is complete, it's whole, it's perfect. That wall was in a state of shalom. But shalom could also mean our well-being. In scripture, they would ask each other, how is your shalom? Because life is complex. It's built in relationships. It's built in different circumstances. And when one little thing falls apart, all of our peace becomes broken and falls apart. And it's this idea then of taking those pieces and putting them back together, restoring the wall, restoring our well-being. See, true biblical peace is to be restored and made whole, complete. That's the peace we want. We want to be restored. We want to be made whole and complete. And I want you to lean in. If you don't remember anything else today, here's what I want you to remember, okay? That true peace is only found in his presence. 
True peace is only found in his presence. Because the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the God of peace will be with you. Or, after let your gentleness be evident to all, what does it say? The Lord is near. Now, the Lord is near can mean two things. It can mean he's near and coming back. Which, let me tell you, every day we live, we get one day closer to Jesus returning and making all things new. Praise the Lord. But it could also mean the Lord is near. His presence is with you. True peace is only found in his presence. And even as amazing as it is that we don't want to go anywhere else, we just want to stand in God's presence. We want himself, nothing else. We just sang it, right? We want a fresh wind. We want to see the spirit move. But here's the thing. God's presence can be scary. And here's why. Because his presence always leads to renewal. His presence always leads to renewal. It leads to change. We are going to have to leave differently than what we came. Our lives should not make sense to non-Christians. We can see that with all the things Paul listed. We should be different. The way we live should not make sense. That even amidst all life's problems, all of life's anxieties, we should look different. We should, be, we want, should want to be a non-anxious presence flowing from his presence in an ever-anxious world. If his presence brings renewal, this is what we're talking about all week at VBS, that these kids want to make waves and change. If we want to see renewal and revival and awakening, it begins with us getting into God's presence. It begins with us as a body coming together in his presence. Romans 14, 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Pastor and Dr. Derwin Gray tweeted out this the other day after the, for most of us, I think amazing news of Roe versus Wade being overturned. We can praise for that, but we see even the other side's reaction, the anxiousness of our world. And he tweeted this out. Such a peculiar land in such a peculiar time, the need for peculiar people is great. By being a non-anxious presence, by coming into his presence to gain that peace that only comes from God, we can make a difference. As we're going to talk about VBS, we can make waves and change those around us. But I want you to know this, true peace is only found in Jesus. John 16, says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 14, 27, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. 
Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, see, Jesus didn't just bring us peace. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. So not only does Jesus bring us peace and give us peace, but he has made peace between us and God. But get this, Ephesians 2, 14 through 20, for he, Jesus, is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that we might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as our cornerstone. Romans 15, 13, I pray that God, that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is my prayer for us, church. Journey, that is what we long for. We long for peace, to be made whole even amidst our worry and stress and anxiety. And we can only find true peace in his presence. Augustine wrote this, God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. And he will not withhold himself from your love unless you withhold your love from him. You might have come in here today or you might be listening online. You say, I'm at a place of high anxiety. I am anxious right now. Life's not going how I want it to. I want that peace that you talked about. But if you don't have Jesus, you won't have that true peace. And in just a moment, if you've never followed Jesus with your life, you're gonna have a chance to do so. And all you have to do, it's simple, it's easy. All you have to do, there's no magic words. All you have to do is humbly bow before him, go to him in prayer and ask that he would forgive you, that he would change you, and that he would give you the power to follow him the rest of your life. That's it. All you have to say, Lord, save me, Lord, change me, and help me to follow you. And I don't want you to leave here in this moment. And believers, I want you to pray for someone in here might need that today. Today might be the first time you decide to follow him, longing after that peace in an anxious world. Maybe your heart's been stirred that you want to see that renewal. You want to see God, move in a mighty way. 
And maybe instead of as the worship band is going to sing a song, maybe instead of just standing and singing, you need to get down at your chair on your knees and pray, God, bring revival, bring renewal. I want to see awakening. We want to see your spirit move, but start with me. Last but not least, maybe today in here you say, I am that anxious person. I follow Jesus, but I'm very anxious. Life is hard. Or maybe as we all do, right, we not sometimes aren't anxious for ourselves, we're anxious for others. Someone you hold dear's life might not be going the way they want it to. And I'd like you to do two things. I know it's different. I know it's awkward, okay? But if you say, that's me, I'm the anxious person, I want you to do one of two things. I want you to either come down to these stairs. These are just stairs, okay? There's nothing magical, but guess what? When you get on your face before the Lord, these can become an altar. That you can open your hands and lift them and say, God, I give this to you. Just as we talked about, give it all to him. Maybe you need to come up. Or maybe you say, you know what? I'm just gonna stand where I'm at. I'm just gonna stand here in just a moment as the band plays and I just need people to come around me and pray over me. And I know this might sound uncomfortable, but it's what the church should do. Maybe people just need to come lay hands on you that you would feel his peace that surpasses all understanding, that the God of peace would be with you. So if you're in any one of those categories, say, I wanna follow Jesus for the first time, myself and Kevin will be down front to speak with you. If you'd like to come, come now. If you want to stand and say, what, I need prayer. I am anxious. I need prayer. Even amidst, even if it's just one person, I don't care. If you say, I just need prayer, people come around me. Just stand up now and we're going to pray that the Lord would move. Father, we want to see your spirit poured out. Lord, we want to see the lost saved. We want to see lives of anxiety brought into your peace. Father, whatever, however you choose to respond, Lord, we want you to be lifted high. We want nothing else but your presence. We need that fresh wind. We need your power. Some of you in here today might be saying, you know what, unless God shows up, I can't go on. We may understand, we may not. But God understands. Father, it's amazing that you know our needs before we ask them. As your word says, when we come before you, you see us. You see us. Father, that's what we ask, that your presence would be poured out. That we would leave here changed than when we came. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.